Well, you're looking awful good today, church. Better than not looking good, isn't it? See, if you're awake there, you didn't catch it. I said it's better than not looking good, isn't it? Hallelujah. You know, I think of that old, old joke. Y'all have heard me tell it, and I bet many of you heard it, you know, about the guy that was oversleeping and didn't want to go to church, and his wife gets up, and she's got everything ready. She's dressed. She's ready to go. He's like, honey, you got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. And she just waits 10 minutes. Honey, you have to go to church. Those people don't like me. You have to go to church. No, they don't like me. They don't understand me. I don't want to be around them. Honey, you have to go. You're the pastor. <laughs> oh, sometimes that's the way you feel when you get up dealing with your kids, isn't it? Or when you're going into work, right? Or when you go to that special dinner you didn't really want to be at that's not special to you. But you know what's so cool about God is he's there in the good times and the bad times. And like we discussed last week, he's the same when things are going great and he's the same when things are going bad. He's the same when we feel loved and he's the same when we don't feel loved. Because he paid the price for us by giving his son so that you and I could become his children. And we owe it to him to live out of the fullness of that heart and owe it to him to be all we can be for him, not for ourselves or not for anyone else or for fame. Last week, we, uh, I shared with you super, living in the supernatural lifestyle style part two. So I'm going to go into part three today. And today, we're going to talk about discovering true destiny. Discovering your true destiny. Last week, we talked about discovering your identity in Christ. It's actually part two of that. And I got two parts to this message, and I'm going to do it today and then a second part next weekend. I want you to understand something, that we have all been appointed a time and a season to live and to walk and to do for God. And all of us, barring, you know, the rapture, Every one of us are going to be absent from this body and present with the Lord. The question is, if you're a child of God, you'll be present with our Lord and Savior Jesus. If you're not, you'll be present with the God of this world, Satan. So we all have an appointed time. <clears throat> Last week, I talked to you about not only discovering your true identity, but about the four pillars of our relationship with God. Remember that? The four pillars of our relationship with God. And they are access to God, our intimacy with God, our influence with God, and our authority with God. You see, God has made a way where there was no way. He gave his only begotten son that those that believe might be saved. That if we believe and ask Christ in our heart, we can be born again. John 3, it says that when you're born again, you can not only enter the kingdom of God, you can see the kingdom of God. God has given us access. He's not only given us access to salvation, but we talked about last week, he gave us access also to his throne of grace. And we read about that in Hebrews, I think, chapter 4, where it says that he is not a God that, which cannot fill our infirmities, right? But that, we, that he knows them and we can come into his throne room of grace with boldness. In other words, he feels our infirmities. He sees them. He sees our hurts. He sees our wounds. The question is, what are we going to do with our hurts? What are we going to do with our wounds? What are we going to do with our failures? You know, John Maxwell, I think he wrote a book on this, but I know it's a big teaching he does is when you don't fail, you fail forward. 
Because every time you fail, that might be the one thing that turns you into a direction that you would have never planned on your own that becomes the greatest joy of your life. And as we begin to understand that what seems like a failure, you know, when God's in it, it's just a lesson. Right? We remember the things we miss and the things we fail at more than the things we win and the things we do that are positive. And God wants us today to reflect on that. I want you to understand that you have access to the throne of grace. Not only that, what else do you have? It says that you have infl- intimacy. You know, God is looking for those that want to spend time with him. You know, prayer is defined like this for me, communing and conversing with and asking and receiving from God. Whenever we want to be intimate with the Father, you say, well, how do I pray? Just say, help! (laughs) He knows who you're talking to, right? And it's about communion with him. It's about asking him. That's a prayer petition. It's about receiving from him. Communing, being in covenant with, born again, blood-bought, his sons and daughters, communing. Conversing, having conversation with, not just talking at God. I guess it's better to talk at him than not talk to him at all. But, but we're going to have a conversation with God. Wait and listen. Even if it takes him a day later to answer it, wait for your answer. Wait on the Lord. And then what else do we have? Not only do we have that, we have influence that God has given you and I. And there's people that you can reach that I can never reach. There's people you can touch that I can never touch. And what we need to understand is God has given you and I influence. Actually, as believers, we have an unfair advantage over the world. Our businessmen and women, you have an unfair advantage over the world and the world system. You see, what don't you understand? Mom and dad, you have an unfair advantage over the world that your kids are facing. You have an unfair advantage over that crazy school your kids go to. What? Because what? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. And I don't just say those out of habit. That's revelation. Like no weapon formed against you can prosper. It can't, it has no right to prosper unless you don't understand your identity in Christ. If you understand who you are and whose you are and your identity, and you understand that you have influence to bring the kingdom of God wherever you are, because Jesus was asked, where is the kingdom of God? He said, the kingdom of God is in you. It's here now, and it's in you. The kingdom of God is not just around you, but in you. And then what else do we have? We have authority. What kind of authority? Kingdom authority. We, we understand that where the scripture says, you're a cho- 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people to show forth the praises of the Lamb of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're a chosen, that means selected generation, a royal priesthood. What's that? Royalty is basilios. It means kingly in nature. That you are kingly in nature because you're an offspring of the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Mm. As we begin to understand that, then we begin to look at how valuable we are to God. We're so precious to him that he allowed his son to suffer for us and to die for us not even knowing for sure if we're going to accept him. That's our Lord and Savior. He, he's given the most valuable things he has, attributes, 
eternal life to us and to anyone who wants him. The Bible says he has no respecter of persons. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we begin to understand that, we, we need to see ourselves the way Christ sees us. We need to see ourselves the way Heavenly Father sees us. We need to see ourselves the way Holy Spirit sees us. We're so busy looking backwards like what we should have done, what we could have done, what we did, man, that didn't work out, into what, you know, what we're doing now or what we could do versus just looking to him and getting on that appointed course that he has for our life. A revelation Dr. Sumrall taught years ago that just I'd never heard it before, but I always grew up in church, well, you're in God's permissive will. Well, you're in God's accepted will. You know, well, you work real hard. Someday you could be in God's perfect will. That, that's just a false teaching. People don't understand. They're just teaching from the word, but not teaching the word. <laughs> because Romans 12, 2, what? says, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, or metamorphosized, the Greek means, be ye transformed, what? You, that you what? Do not conform to this world, but be ye transformed, so that what? You can see or be or do God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. In other words, his will is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. You're either in it or you're not. And whenever you begin to understand your destiny and your calling on your life, as you hear me say all the time from 1 Timothy 1.9, right? All the time, 1 Timothy 2.9, I mean. But whom he has saved, past tense, and called, conjunction together, whom he has saved and called, kaleo, called, to be legally summoned by God, to be appointed by God. Whom he has saved and called, what? Not according to your own works, but according to the holy calling in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began, God set up the planet. Before time began, God set up your access. Before time began, what did God do? He set up your influence. Before time began, God set up your authority. He set all those pillars up for you, access, intimacy, influence, and authority. And he set it up, and in Hebrews eleven three, 3, it says that what by faith, and through his word, he fit or framed the worlds. What do you do? That word framed means to fit, finish, and fashion. He framed the worlds through, our, through his faith and through his word. What He framed them. That means he set them up. He fit them. He sat them. He positioned them. He appointed them. Think about it. Not only do you and I have an assignment, but the rocks have an assignment. He said, if the rocks have to praise me, I'll have the rocks praise me. Everything that's part of his creation has been appointed. Everything that's a part of his creation has been assigned, and it has a plan, and it has a destiny, and it must perform that plan and that destiny according to God's will. So why are we any different as children of God? Why would we not have a plan? Why would we not have an appointed course? Why would we not have a destiny when he's already set you up before the worlds began and knew you, right, before you were ever born of your mother and father? <clears throat> I could go into that and stay for three weeks. But just trust me, it's what the scripture said. Just go with what the scripture said. I can go through the old covenant and all of it and show you from Genesis on 
how that God knew you before time began. Well, how would he know me before time began? Because there is no time in God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is his yesterday, it is his day, and it is his forever. Time is a tool that he uses for you and I to measure our destiny and are we on track. Time is used. It's appointed. There's chronos time, which is segments, right? Seconds, minutes, hours, days, and all. But there's charis time. What is that? Charis time or carols time. What is it? That's seasons, appointed seasons. Even when you're going through your chronos days, and you're just going to school, or you're going to work, or you're taking care of your kids, or you're taking care of your family. You're just going through it to see. All of a sudden, that's still being in God's will. So many times we think that's to be this big, exciting deal, and we have to be changing the world and all that. Now, God said just first change you and change those around you as he gives you the ability to do so. And then those Kairos times happen, and it's like, bam, you can't even explain it. A healing a new job, you know, your kids are blessed. Whatever it is, something God, someone saved. And that, that carol's time is seasonal. It's amazing. But we can't live in the carol's time every day of our life waiting for the big thing to happen. We got to be faithful on our appointed course. Somebody say the appointed course. Hebrews 12, 1, the last part of that verse, uh, talks about it in the Amplified. It says, let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence, the appointed course of the race that is set before you. That's, that's Paul writing us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is saying to us, let, it, let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence. That sounds like Kronos time to me. That sounds like our every day, our every afternoon, our every evening, our every week, our every month, our every just sounds like that. Okay, I got to be run the race patiently. You know, I'm not good with patience. Endurance, steady, and active. God did not call you to be a Bible scholar. He called you to partner in his mission. It's called the commission. The great commission, the great commission. He called us as sons and daughters, and the reason he's given us influence, and the reason he's, he's given us, you know, influence and authority and all these things, the four pillars, the reason he's given us that uh, intimacy, access, influence, and authority. Why is that? Because he has an appointed course for you, and for you to run that course, right? He didn't say win your appointed course. He didn't say find your appointed course. He didn't say discover your appointed course. He said, run it, run it, but running it with what? Patience and steadiness and competency. Why is that? The appointed course of the race that is set before you, that is positioned before you. You're not running the same race I am. Stephanie's not running the same race I am. I'm not running the same race Jay is. You're not running. No, why are you so interested in watching all the passerbys? Why are you looking at the traffic around you instead of looking at your path in your road? Why are you caught up in that car's nicer than my car? She's cuter than I am. Or, and they make more money than we do. Or, man, they're more anointed than we are. I wish I was anointed like that. I'd preach too, right? I'd, I'd lay hands on people too if I, if I knew what he knew or what she knew. Why are you looking at everyone else's appointment, their assignment? Their... Like Mark said, stop it. Just stop it. You know, I, 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 
used to when I was younger, I don't do it so much now, but used to when I was younger, you know, you ever been, I was a kid, probably, I was like a freshman high school, and I just always kind of, you know, when I'm by myself or something, walking around, if I'm out in the yard or something, just kind of looking down, thinking, well, you know, Eastern Kentucky, where my mother lived at the time, would flood, we had a newer home, so they had to raise the home. Well, when they raised the home, they had these big old 12-inch beams, you know, run all the way through the house, and they're sticking out about four feet on each side of the house, and just about this high, the bottom one, and I'm just walking one day, boom, I saw stars, I'm laying down, I mean, I'm cut, I still got a scar there, and it's like, oh my God, it's like, honey, that's been there two months, how did you walk into it? That's one assignment I needed to miss, amen? <laughs> what are you saying, Pastor? That's the way Christians are, just looking. <laughs> my little thing, my little kids, and my little job, and my little career, my little ministry, my little anointing. That's why it's little. God appointed you to his race. And it could be a relay race or whatever where one runs for this reason, one runs for that, but we're all connected. I'm not to be distracted by you that are assigned to run with me, right? But I'm still assigned to run with you. And sometimes I bring you along and sometimes you bring me along and sometimes we bring we along. But we never leave a man or a woman behind, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to run the race, the appointed course, focus on God, because as you focus on him, your head's not down, it's up, and seeing with kingdom eyes, not just natural eyes. Well, what's so supernatural about supernatural? It's just simply putting super on natural. It's just putting God on your family, God on your health, God on your career, God on your ministry, God on your relationships. We make it difficult, but it's simple. So many things in our life, we just make it like we're thinking it through. Well, what are you doing? Thinking it through, thinking it through. Well, if your car caught on fire and you're sitting in traffic, you probably wouldn't think long. You just get out. <laughs> Hopefully you would. God bless you. If not, you probably need to go to heaven. But it's like that. The house is burning. The spiritual house is burning, and you're just sitting in the smoke dying. Your destiny is fading away, and you're just sitting there watching it erode away and fall off a cliff. God said, wake up. Look at me. Well, now it's really bad. I thought I was bad, but now, Pastor, I guess I may be going to hell. I don't know. I've just blown 50 years of my life, 10 years. No. God knew you were going to mess up. He's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, all-powerful. Omnipresent, he's present in your past, your presence in your future. That's why the Greek language is one of the great Greek languages to, that, that the, the, the uh, language of Jesus could be uh, translated into because it has an arrowist tense. It doesn't have this past, present, future. It has an arrowist tense, which has a past, but it has a past, present, future past. It has a present, but it has a past, present, future present. It has a future, but it has a past, present, future. It's called arrowist. And what does that mean? You can, you, for whatever words you have in English, you could have 150 to 300 in Greek. The language is so descriptive. 
And God wants you to realize he's in your past, present, and future. He's in your present, past, present, and future. He's in your future, past, present, and future. He is God. He is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. It's just like you got to do like I had to do at 14. Pick yourself up off the ground and realize I don't want to do that again. You know what? I never ran into that beam again until they took him out. And later in life, I'd be doing something. I'd done something not long ago, maybe a year or so ago, and hit my head. And I'm like, Seth's like, what in the world, honey? Couldn't you, couldn't you see that? I just don't even go there. <laughs> You're already hurting. You don't want to be made a fool of. You got a big knot on your head. I can't remember what I walked into. I walked into something. She's like, my God is right there. I'm like, just stop it. <laughs> stop it. Because I wasn't just feeling the pain of that. I was feeling the pain of when I was 14 and stupid. And like, you'd think I'd learned something by now. Amen. Out show me. But God has appointed each of us a race. And we're to run the course in the marked lane he has for us. God has created you for a specific purpose. I love the word purpose, prothesis. You hear me talk about it. Pro means for. Uh, thesis means, uh, uh, oh gosh. I'm trying to get two words together. This is pro for, because destiny is direct in the Hebrew. It is talking about a roadway or a pathway, a direction. And when you're on your destiny to get, you're on a destiny to get to a destination. And roadways and pathways, even a river running, it has a destination, right? If you're on that destination on a boat, it has its turns, its valleys, its up down. That's the way your destiny is. But in a before place, I don't, I don't know what it is. Thesis is talking about your assignment. Your assignment. Before, in a before place, God gave you your assignment. He gave you your purpose. Purpose. What is that? He, he, he assigned you before time began that when you're in your place, you could run your race. He loves you that much, knowing that his son would have to suffer for it. I love the, the movie, the old movie, Chariots of Fire. It's been over 30 years ago, I guess. So if you, unless you've seen a rerun, you're up there like me. <clears throat> and... Um, and the cool thing is, Eric Liddell, he had such a passion for running, right? And he's a missionary, and he had been a missionary in China, but he just felt so impressed of God that he needed to run this race. And his sister would manipulate him. It was in the 1928 Olympics, and, and she would manipulate him because she just thought, man, this is ungodly. You're running this race. You're a you're man, God, uh, man of God. You're, you're a missionary. You're called to China. What are you doing here doing this? <clears throat> But he had a great line in that. <clears throat> he said this. He said, God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel pleasure. God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel pleasure. What's that saying? When you're not running with God and for God, you're not going to feel his pleasure. You might get the pleasure of a moment or a raise, a promotion. But when he said, when I run fast, I feel, he said, I feel his pleasure in me. Why? Because God gave him a gift for that time and that season, and he wanted him to have great influence. He ended up going back to China and just spending his whole life there, being a great missionary. But just think, China, the whole world, watch him run in the Olympics, and I think he got runner-up. The guy that won it was miserable. He, he didn't even enjoy winning. But Liddell enjoyed it. Why? Because he was runner, he knew it was an assignment 
from God because God gifted him. You businessmen and businesswomen, you, you, you need to run for God's pleasure. It's not about you. You need to run for God's pleasure. When you're operating a business and you're growing a business, it, it's a ministry. You got to know your path. You got to know your assignment. You got to know your, 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 your deal. You in corporate America, you in any kind of leadership in the business world, you need to understand that God is with you and He's for you and He's given you influence and He's given you access and He's given you authority. But it's up to you to run the race that He has plotted out for you, to run the course He has plotted out for you. And in that, you use your influence for his pleasure. In that, you use your access for his pleasure. In that, you use your authority for his pleasure. Not your authority, your authority in him. You know, there's two kinds of authority, right? Direct authority and delegated authority. Direct authority is the one that is in charge. So, so in other words, if a police officer brings you in and he wrote you a ticket, you don't agree, you're coming in front of what? The direct authority. How did the police officer write a ticket? He's the indirect authority of, of the judge and of the court system. And what happens is the indirect authority brings you in front of the direct authority. But here's what I want you to realize. The indirect authority has the right to stop you, write a ticket, pull you out, take you to jail, do whatever they need to do. And then if you want to protest it, you can come before the direct authority. But the indirect authority is operating based on what the direct authority, the laws and the voting and all that stuff took place. And, and what you got to understand is we're God's indirect authority. But he, he gives us the authority of the direct authority. That's why he said, you heal the sick. You cast out devils. Signs follow you. Because he has an appointed course for you. He's laid it out for you. He said, man, God has made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. When you're doing great things in the business world or writing books or whatever it is you're doing, just remember, you're doing it for his pleasure. He gave you that gift. If you have a medical practice or whatever it is, or you're a law practice or you work that, just remember, the favor on your life was given to you from God. He gave you access and influence and opportunity and authority to walk in that position. Do it well. Do it well, as unto the Lord. The easiest way to stay out of I remember when, when I had partied myself out of three colleges and I, I come home, I'm living with my mom, and we knew the county judge. He just thought the world of me. So he gave me a job on the county road crew. And, you know, you're meeting in a barn. They call it a barn, old big building, but it had like an open fire, and everybody get their assignments. Here I kept getting stuck up in this holler called Wolf Creek Holler. And I'd have to be stuck up there. They were doing some new patching roads, asphalt. Well, you think the state's slow. You should be part of the county. Amen. And... I didn't have boots at the time. I didn't realize I'd be going out. And I remember I standing up there just freezing one, oh, one morning. It's so cold. It's a winter. And I had these tennis shoes on, blue jeans, and I had a coat. And I'm just here, what? You are an idiot. You, 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 you parted yourself out of, out of two colleges that was totaled three new cars. And here you stand holding a road sign. Talk about feeling like an idiot. But the difference is when I gave my life to Christ, I could hold that sign and not feel like an idiot. Because I'd put my boots on, I was, I'm going to be the best sign holder there is. Got to dig a ditch, I'll be the best there is. I'm not doing it for the judge, I'm doing it for my father. 
working unto the Lord. And it's just like I got promoted. And then I had an opportunity to buy a carpet cleaning truck. And I just said, what I do? I did it when I cleaned people's houses. They won me back. The neighbors wanted me to clean. Why? Because I did it better than I could ever do it on my own. Because I did it as unto the Lord. If you'll run your business, ask unto the Lord. Run your family, ask unto the Lord. Run your life, your health, ask unto the Lord. Everything we do is we do it as unto the Lord because that's the way you run the race with persistence and with activity, right, and endurance. You run it. It keeps you on track. What track? The appointed course. There's access I have that none of you will ever have. There's also access to things that you have that I'll never have. Why? Because it's either on my appointed course or it's not. And that's why it's the body of Christ and we need one another. Can anybody say amen this morning? Trying to get through the opening. Ooh, this might be a three-parter here. Somebody said, I hope so. It's a double long one. You see, Liddell learned to run with purpose and passion. When you put purpose and passion together, what does that do? Whenever you have a vision, God's given you a vision to start your family. And man, didn't know it'd be this hard, you know, to start your education, to start a job, start a business, start a ministry, whatever it is. And anytime you're reaching for, for something with a vision, you have a dream, you're going and you're going and you're going, there's always pain involved, right? There's always failure. There's always setbacks. There's always things that don't, don't go your way. But here's the thing. Vision gives pain a purpose. I said vision gives pain a purpose. The pain you're going through. I bet, I bet if you burned your hand really bad on a kitchen stove when you were a little kid, you probably hadn't burned your, hat on, your hand on a kitchen stove yet. Right? right? Unless you're dumb like me and walk your head down. Other than that, but it took a couple times, and I, you know, 61 years, I figured it out. Yeah. You know, when something's so painful, man, you don't want to repeat. Can anybody say Amen. The good euphoria things. Ooh, I want to repeat. I want to repeat. But here's the thing. All the great quarterbacks, they say they can throw five interceptions. The next week, they come back like they never thrown an interception. The ones that are not great, they're good. They have a lot of potential. They're done for the season. They just, they might lose their job. Why? Because they don't know how to forget. Because they know the appointed course they have is greater than the failure they had last Sunday. Think about it. Baseball, the guys in the Hall of Fame. If you hit 300, you'll be in, for 10, 15 years, you'll be in the Hall of Fame. 300, that's great, right? That means you're only successful three out of every 10 times you at bat. That means you're going to fail seven out of 10 times. And if you can just make it three out of 10, you'll be a multi-zillionaire and a Hall of Famer and honored and all that. But you've got to fail seven times to get three. That's more than double. And you're whining because it didn't go your way last week. You're whining because, well, you know, they picked her over me. You're whining because you didn't get the promotion or you, you're the one that got laid off or you're the one that, you know, got, got a, a ticket. You're the one that something bad happened to. And you're so mad over that, anybody mention it, you just snapped their head off. Why? Because you're tore up. It's distracted you. Distraction brings discouragement. And discouragement brings the influence of departing. Be careful. When you're distracted, you'll soon be discouraged. And when you're discouraged, you'll soon, what? Depart from whatever it is. You that come in, oh, I just love this church. When I walked in, I knew it's home. I love Bethel. It's great. That's great. 
But if over time, whether it's a day, a year, or 20 years, whatever it is, if you get distracted and you're not in the vision, you're not hearing the word, you're not going with, with the team as we go into sanctuaries, we go into ministries, and all of a sudden you get distracted and before long you'll be discouraged. Well, I don't know. I don't feel so bad. I just don't even feel like going to church now. Well, you were distracted when you were in church, and then you got distracted and didn't go to church, and then you got discouraged by the time you went to church. You felt so condemned and guilty. You couldn't hear anything except every time the preacher said something, he's preaching to me. By God, there's something negative. It had to be to me. Because that's the way you see yourself. And what happens when you're discouraged, distracted, you become discouraged, then you depart the faith. Or you depart the ministry, and you go to another church, and you go to another ministry, and you go to another church. Until <laughs> after a while, you may not go to any church. It's not the church, it's you. Same way with relationships. You're just going through relationship after relationship, marriage after marriage, relationship after relationship. You know, you're as much the problem as anyone else is. You've got to fix you. Well, why am I the one that lost my job or lost my business or whatever? I don't know, but you need to find out what it is so that God can help you grow from it and not sit there and wallow in it for the next 10 years and make it worse. I'm saying, you know, you marriage people, I just never dreamed I could be this low. I, I just never could dream that my life could be on the rocks like this. Man, I felt like that. I've told you about how I'd go get counseling. Sometimes you just got to go out of your comfort zone. And you, you just got to say, Help! So you can get back on your appointed course. But you're going to be more sensitive and loving to people that went through what you did. You're going to know how to minister to people that's going through the pain you went through. Your pain is not just your gain. Your pain is your ministry. If you've been through addiction, man, you know how to minister to addicted. If you've been through child abuse, you know how to minister to those that's been through child abuse. Whatever it is, if you've been through a painful divorce relationship, you know how to minister to those people. Well, because it marked you. You know it inside and out. But you don't use it a lot of times when you should. You're somebody else's answers. I know the team tells me a lot of times, Pastor, I'm just, we'll do a podcast on a topic, and then we're sitting there talking. And go, My God, I got more revelation I just sit here talking than I did being on the podcast or, or you doing a podcast. Why is that? We don't even realize how much we carry and wisdom we carry and understand. Wisdom comes from knowledge. Knowledge comes from experience. And a lot of times you get the best wisdom, knowledge of wisdom from the things that the worst experience. Because you don't forget that stuff. You can remember what you're wearing that day, you know, how you were breathing, what you were thinking. Oh, my God. Can anybody say amen or, or outro me? I don't know. Stop pointing at your husband, honey. Be nice. Just tease him. Just tease him. Hallelujah. So, <clears throat> We got to realize that we are people that have a significant purpose waiting on us. Psalm 16, says this, <clears throat> you will show me the path of life, speaking of God, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, which is his authority, are pleasures forevermore. On the right hand of God, that's his justice, that's his authority. So instead of, do, doing what is expected of us, what if, we, uh, what if it is the responsible thing to do? In other words, there's something you don't really want to do, but you've got to find passion to do it anyway because it's the responsible thing to do. It's the right thing to do. When you don't know what to do, do what's right. 
no matter how much pain it is. When you don't know what to do, do what's right. Can anybody say amen to that? I'll show me, maybe. <clears throat> and when we begin to think about our purpose, you know, we just try to separate education and church and family and church and business and church. And, and you think Paul was a tent maker. That was his business. You could have said he was a, a, a vocational preacher, a vocational He built tents. He had a business and go city to city with his team, build tents, sell tents. But then he's out preaching in the temples, the synagogues, and all over the place, right? So Paul, was a, that was his business. So what I want you to realize, realize that at some point, we got to find passion in the equation of whatever it is, the assignment that's on our life now. There's been times, man, that I've had assignments from God, and I wanted to quit and run so fast. I'm like, I know, I know one ministry that I was in that was a great ministry, but it's a tough ministry because it's a mega ministry, and I had a key position, and it was always something big happening, turbulent going on. And I mean, there was times I'd drive home, and I'm not a quitter, and I'm like, man, I, I, that's my last time driving in that place. Then later that evening, Stephanie and God would talk to me, and I'd go back to work. Not always in that order, but a lot of times in that order. There's just things that everybody said, well, you got it made. You get to fly around to different countries and preach in big churches, and I was miserable. Until finally, God said, what are you miserable for? I'm like, Lord, I'm ready to go. You said I could plant a church. Stand right ready to plant a church. Well, you will someday. He said, but if you can't honor this house the way you want your house honored, you're not ready. So if you can't work for this ministry like you're going to be here for the rest of your life, you don't deserve a ministry. I mean, God talks to me a little different than he does some of you, I guess. <clears throat> and that was seven years before we left to come here, wasn't it, baby? And I mean, by the time we leave to come here, I got my own wing. 85% of everybody employed by that mega ministry were under my authority. We got to travel. We got to do, had a beautiful home. Just had Parker. He's getting ready. He's at that time, you know, about six, six months old. And I'm coming home, Holy Spirit dropped in my heart, leaving work. I was happy, man. I'm running everything. It's all good. Ministry's growing. I increased the ministry, blessed them, got blessed in pay, and, you know. And Lord said, it's time. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, what do you mean it's time? It's time. Go build the church. And I had to just bite my lip because in my heart, I'm like, come on, Lord. We worked our tail off for nine years, and you're saying go now when we're getting some fruit? <laughs> start over? Not start over. Start something that's never been done before as far as our church. And I just kind of got choked up, and I said, okay, Lord. I go home. Stephanie's holding Parker. I said, you won't believe what the Lord told me today. She starts crying. <laughs> Tears. Yeah, what did he tell you? <laughs> I said, you're not going to like it, honey. I know you'll be, but we'll, we'll work it out. God says, time to go plant the church. Me too. <laughs> she already knew. She always does, right? She knew. And we just looked at each other like, well, this is going to be exciting. <laughs> but that's, that was the first seat of Bethel start. We knew it was Lexington. We knew seven years prior it would be here somewhere. That was almost 25 years ago. You know, next, this February, we'll be 25 years old. And there's times we've hit our head in leadership and left the mark and tried to learn from it. Sometimes we have to hit our head a few times. You know, 
But, but you learn from those painful times. Can anybody say amen? But the reason I was telling you that is that you can't separate what you do from God's plan and assignment on your life because that's where he assigned you to be. And whether it's holding a county road sign, a sign for the county on the road in the winter in tennis shoes, or whether it's working for a mega ministry and you wish, you know, hey, I could go do my own thing, or it's now go take your savings, your life savings, and everything else, let somebody else rent and live in your big, nice home, and, and go down here where nobody knows you except one family, and I think two of them had ever heard me preach, and they'd lived here two years, and, and go down there and start a ministry. Yay, yay, yay. Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> people, I had 2,500 people on my volunteer teams. I had close to 100 staff reporting directly to me. And what God asked us to do was cash out your retirement. Had a nice retirement going. Cash it out. Take that money. God had us flipping houses for like three or four houses within a year. Take that cash. Take your savings. Take everything and go rent a building. You know, I told you a story, Brother Shambach, Pastor Parsley said, don't do that. Just, just get a hotel. We'll preach, get you a couple hundred people. But we had to do what God said. We signed over a $3,000 a month contract for an old bingo hall over there off of uh, Alexandria Drive with, with uh, oh, what's her name? Doll. Doll Harris, who were sweet to us. They're passed on now. And we had the privilege of putting about 30000 in it and painting it and cleaning it and putting stuff in it and furnishing it and buying chairs. We had the privilege and honor to do that. And they said, well, why did you start the church February 21st? Because that's when the last drop of paint dried. And we needed to have church because we needed offerings. And we signed that contract by faith. I mean, we had enough. If we starved ourselves, we still could have paid it if everything went to heck in a handbasket. But that's with no salaries, that's with no pay, that's with, but God. I said, but God. See, he knew that was in our assignment, so the last Sunday we were prayed over, you remember me telling a story about Stephanie, what are we going to sow? She said, you say first. I said, 5,000. She said, yeah, that's what God told me. <laughs> you know what? The first 12 months from the time we opened the door, this church Church income exceeded $500,000 annually. One person's excited about that. We may be spoiled. You, you just see a lot of big stuff. You may just be spoiled. Don't be those kids, right? A hundred times what we sow. Pastor Rod grabbed it and said, here they are sowing $5,000 into a, in, uh, from a church that don't exist, from a bank account of a church that don't exist, and, and, and they don't have a building, don't have anything, and, and they're sowing that today out of faith. God will bless it. And boy, did he. You know how I many ministries maybe never reach a $500,000 income? I mean, we started out with 31 people counting kids, rats, cats, dogs. And that wasn't a guarantee. That was just, we did a two-week radio advertisement. And we had a bunch of family come up, man. We had 40-some, 40 42 or something first service. You know, people driving in for the big first. Then they go home. Then there you are. But God. We never had any big, we had one $50,000 gift in that first year. Other than that, it was giving. From people, from 32 people to eventually that summer, we broke. I remember Easter. 
I'm just talking about my plan here. I've already blown it now, I guess, so we might as well talk. I remember Easter. So February. Easter's in March or April then. That year. It might have been April or later in March. And I'm believing. We've been running 52, 53, 50, 47 to 55, 47. I said, Lord, all I want for Easter is to break 60. I said, I don't care if there's 59 and there's a pregnant lady. That's 60. I just want to break 60. <laughs> Give me 60, Lord. I was so set on that. You think I was so tore up. I set on 60. We had like 58 or something like that. So we were driving to have Easter dinner with her family in Columbus. I was so, she says, what's wrong with you? I said, I asked for 60. About 57. Well, honey, that's really close. I said, but that's not what I asked for. Next Sunday, we had like 75. By the end of that month, we broke 100. Coming into June, we broke 200. We were on 221 average or 225 on Sunday mornings and 170 on Thursday night. But God. But when you have an assignment and an appointment, it don't always go your way. It went God's way because he wanted to teach you something. He wants you to learn something. He wants you to understand that you do have influence and you do have authority and you do have access. And he wants you to use it for his purpose. It's like business leaders. You're doing it as unto the Lord for his purpose. Teachers, you're teaching those children as unto the Lord for his purpose. You know, mom, dad, whoever's staying home, you're, you're doing that as unto the Lord for those children for his purpose. <clears throat> when you always include it and make it his purpose, then he's going to bless it. And if it's not and you're wrong, he'll redirect you to where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. Can anybody say amen this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Discovering your destiny. Discovering your dream. God already has a place. He already has a road. He already has a path. I'm just believing God's going to be waking some of you up in the middle of the night. Touch you on, when you're going to work or school or something or pick your kids up and pull off the road because you're bawling because God drops something. To prepare yourself. So many people don't do what Stephen and I did. They'll, they'll, they'll know that they know God called us seven years earlier to plant a church here. And I had an opportunity to take the largest spirit-filled church over the year prior. I, the largest church, it don't exist now, but it was the largest church, over 500 people, big, beautiful building. Some of you all know because you attended there and remembered when I came and preached and I met with that pastor and God checked my spirit and said, don't take this church. I just went back to work. Worked for seven years. Now, it's hard when I did it at that time. I was a youth pastor making about eight bucks an hour and just graduated from the school. So it was hard. I might have been making nine men or something, you know. 300 kids. But we just knew. We had a check. When you're on the appointed road with God, every road has bumps and ditches and ruts and smooth places and wet places and dry places and rock places and all that stuff. And, and you just got to know that I'm just doing what God said to do. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, what's the last thing he told you to do? Do that with all your heart. He has a plan for you, man. Your royalty. You have the identity. When Satan sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees the blood of Jesus. 
He can't even mess with you because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. He sees the Son of God. When he attacks you, he, only you can let him through the veil of your covenant with Jesus. Only you can. It's up to you. God planned this out for you. Well, I feel called to do this. I see that. I feel called to do that. Well, why can't I preach right now? Or why can't I go on a mission field right now? Because did God say right now? Well, I mean, it must be. I'm so excited. I just really feel it. Yeah, you feel it. That means get wise counsel from spiritual leaders and people that are mature to help you walk this out. Don't just jump in and get ran over and learn that way. Most people like that quit anyway. Be patient. Isn't that what it said? Run the course with patience. Active. Hallelujah. I'm so excited for you what God's going to reveal to you this year. Because remember, this is a year, right, of supernatural promotion, divine encounters with God. 